If I told you that a new analysis of 14 clinical studies over a period of five years involving more than 232,000 people in four countries revealed that you could dramatically lower your mortality risk, that is, your risk of dying, by just investing 50, five zero minutes a week in exercise, wouldn't you be interested? The analysis showed the target group who exercised in this way was 27% less likely to die for any cause, 30% less likely to die from heart disease, 23% less risk of dying from cancer. What activity did this involve? Running. Ever since high school, I've been a runner, and running with groups of friends through the years has provided me with numerous physical, mental, emotional, and I think even spiritual benefits. And if running has a downside, and it does, it's the skeletal issues which sometimes are associated with running. And in my case, uh, for more than a year, I've been unable to run because of a condition called lumbar spinal stenosis. Uh, In my case, it involved a herniated disc, and a narrowing spinal canal, and so that nerves, my spinal nerves, were being squeezed, which meant when Colleen and I, for example, would go visiting and we'd be standing in a patient's bed, less than 60 seconds, my legs and my feet would both go numb, and they looked like they belonged to somebody else. I was afraid of doing a face plant right in the nursing home. You know, quick, (laughs) we have a new patient. (laughs) No! And the other thing is when I tried to run, I just got disabling shooting pain uh, down both legs, like electric shock, uh, completely disabling me. So I decided, which many of you know, to have spinal surgery. That was December 19. And the good news, uh, decompressive spinal surgery, by the way. So they didn't put any hardware in. They didn't fuse anything. They just took stuff out to give my spinal nerves more room. And the good news is since waking up in the recovery room and being able to walk around, the numbness in my legs and feet has totally, completely disappeared. Whether I'll ever be able to resume running, um, I'm not sure. Only time will tell. But my surgeon told me just a couple weeks ago that in about two to three months' time, uh, he says, I'll be fine to experiment and find out. The point is, haven't we all sought healing for a variety of issues in our lives, whether physical health, whether mental or emotional health, whether spiritual health for spiritual failings? During these weeks between now and Easter, we're exploring the gospel according to John. And in today's text, Jesus performs a dramatic healing and makes a remarkable claim. In a recent sermon that Dale preached, he described how Jesus broke through the facade of the outcast Samaritan woman to offer her living water. And today, Jesus is going to break through the depression of an invalid to provide healing and new life. Now, before Barb comes to read our text from John chapter 5, I need to tell you that some scholars in the 19th century, concluded that the historical value of the gospel according to John was worthless. They thought that the author often made up place names for stories that he invented. 
Now, the healing in our text today from John chapter 5 is set in a very specific location. Now, in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool in Hebrew called Bethsatha, which means House of Olives, which has five porticos or five covered colonnades. Now, the problem is that until near the end of the 19th century, this is the single mention of that geographic feature in first century Jerusalem, and no one had ever discovered it. In 1888, a Roman Catholic missionary order, the White Fathers, began excavating a site about 100 yards north of the site of Solomon's temple. They cleared away some ruins on the grounds of the Church of St. Anne and found an old fresco representing the story that Barb is going to read to you in just a minute. And below it, they found a flight of stairs which led down to, you guessed it, the pools of Bethsatha. Originally, again, five covered colonnades, four on each side, and a fifth separating the twin pools. Estimates or experts estimate that in Jesus' day, the pools were about as large as a football field and about 20 feet deep. This means, friends, that John's description is remarkably accurate. It's almost like a, a tourist map, a guidebook describing that feature of first century Jerusalem. So the skeptics have been proven wrong. The pools appear to have been constructed over natural springs, and people in Jesus' day came to believe that when the bubbles appeared in the pool, the first person in would get a miraculous healing. And so the sick gathered in huge numbers at that site, hoping to be healed. So it's sort of like an an ancient first century Lourdes, place of healing. So with that introduction, Barb is going to come and read our text today from John chapter 5. John 5, 1-18. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool, called in Hebrew, Bethesda, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who'd been cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry the mat. He answered them, The man who made me well said to me, Take up your mat and walk. They asked him, 
Who is the man who said to you, take it up and walk? Now the man who had been healed didn't know who it was, for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews started persecuting Jesus because he was doing such things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is still working, and I also am working. For this reason, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, thereby making himself equal to God. The word of the Lord. Well, let's review this text. Jesus meets a man who had been ill for 38 years. And we're not told the precise nature of the man's condition, but apparently he's an invalid, unable to walk unassisted, if at all. Along with many others, for some time he's been lying by the pool of Bethsaida hoping to be healed. And whatever time he's been there, in particular, he's, been, he's had this condition for a long 38 years. Jesus came up to the man and asked a very simple question. Do you want to be made well? The man might have responded with just one word answer. Sure, yeah, sign me up. Instead, the man launched into a long, self-pitying speech, complaining about life's injustices. If you've ever talked to a depressed person or maybe an indigent person, and, and you're trying to be practical and helpful, like, how can I help you? Maybe you've heard a person go into a similar lengthy speech, a lengthy tale of woe and struggle. In this case, the man had been patiently waiting for healing for a long time. And he's probably of the attitude, hey, they ought to have a number system here like they do at DMV or Social Security because I've been waiting in line as long as anybody here at these pools. And, and they have friends and so when the water is bubbles come up, they have friends that, that form like a, a little wedge. And they pick them up and get them in the water so they get in first. And I'm denied again. I don't have any friends. It's not fair. Well, how does Jesus respond to the man's complaint? He inter- I love this. Jesus is usually very well-mannered, but in this case... He interrupts the man's litany of self-pity with a sharp command. Stand up or get up. Take your mat and walk. And the man did. Now friends, each of those verbs is in the imperative mood, which means they're the command form. So a precise grammatical translation would be, keep on rising, take your mat once and for all, And keep on walking. The verb rise is usually associated in the Gospels with resurrection. Here it's a present tense command. So as Jesus heals the man physically, he orders him to enter a new chapter of his life. Implying he still needs further healing, 
I think, on the spiritual level. Second, he employs a once-for-all aorist imperative to stand up, take his straw-stuffed mat once for all and leave his old life behind. It's done and passed. You're no longer an invalid. And third, and by the way, I think leaving the old life behind also implies the need for repentance, an intentional change of direction, turning toward God, toward God, away from sin. But Jesus will clarify that with the man in a later conversation. And third, Jesus orders the man, keep on walking. He's now able to make decisions and take responsibility for the first time since he became ill for his life in a, in a universal sort of sense. I wonder what the man felt like at that point. And I wonder whether he was in fact disappointed. He may have expected a blinding light, a voice from heaven, certainly bubbles. And, but Jesus, you just said, get up. Is that all there is? Just get up? No bubbles? No applause? Nothing? Just get up? So he may well be a bit disappointed in his healing experience. Jesus here is in action as the great physician, the healer, the life giver, restoring this man's physical health. Now notice on this occasion... And Jesus, you can't put Jesus in a box and say, you know, he always heals with this framework. Nope. He doesn't even introduce himself to the man. He asks nothing of the man. This is sheer grace. Thank you for that lovely anthem. Sheer grace. Nothing is asked from the man as a prerequisite. Problems begin almost immediately for the man after his healing. It's the Sabbath day when Jesus performed it. And some Jewish experts remind the man, Hey, it's the Sabbath. You're carrying a burden. You can't do that. You're breaking the law. These experts can't rejoice in the fact that the man who had been ill for 38 whole years is now apparently restored fully to health. They focus on the rule he is unwittingly broken. As they define the demands of the Sabbath command, which forbid work on that day of rest, legal experts in the first century came up with 39, 39 categories of work, one of which was carrying a burden. So this man has unintentionally become a lawbreaker. Well, how did the man respond to the charges? When the authorities inquired, well, who is it that healed you? He, he, the man says, you know, the man who healed me commanded me. Get up, take your mat, and walk. So, so I did. I'm just following directions. They said, well, who is that? Well, I can't, I can't tell you. This man is so depressed, so self-absorbed, he never even asked Jesus' name, let alone thank him. Later, Jesus encounters the man in the temple courts. See, you have been made well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Jesus wants the man to repent and grapple with his need for spiritual healing as well as his need for physical healing. Well, after a second conversation with Jesus, the healed man then goes directly to the religious authorities 
and uh, tattles on Jesus. You could say he bore witness to Jesus. And whatever his motivation, he bears witness. And for the first time in John's gospel, Jesus faces persecution. Friends, that's okay. Jesus is up to the challenge. I think Jesus welcomes our attempts, as feeble and as inarticulate as they may be, when we bear witness to what he has done in our lives. So Jesus answered then those who accused him of breaking Sabbath law by saying, My father is still working, and I also am working. Jewish rabbis debated the meaning of God resting on day 7 in the creation narrative in Genesis chapter 1. After performing the work of creation the first six days. And many concluded, apparently including Jesus, that God did not actually cease working after six days. Because if God had, creation would have ceased to exist. Instead, God simply ended the work of creation. He rested from that. Aha, but he began the work of sustaining and caring for all that God had made. So Jesus is saying, in effect, even on the Sabbath day when God rested from the work of creation, God's work of loving and caring for creation continued, just as my work continues as well. Working on the Sabbath then, even as his father worked, Jesus was claiming a divine privilege. This angered Jesus' accusers, who said he was not only breaking Sabbath law, but by calling God his own father, was making himself equal to God. As people of modernity, we wonder about the historical question, did Jesus really heal? Is this just a story? Or is it really true? An interesting trend is that more and more scholars acknowledge today that neither Jesus' supporters nor his opponents in the first and early second century denied the reality of his healing power. Virtually no one in print denied that power. The only thing people could do is criticize the power used to perform those healing acts. So in the minds of his worst Jewish critics, they were saying, oh, but his power doesn't come from above, but from below, from the demonic power of evil. Which, friends, makes no sense. Jesus is restoring life. He's doing a godlike thing not a demonic thing. Well, even if we acknowledge that the earthly Jesus healed, and more and more scholars do, we may wonder if the risen Christ is still at work today as a healer. Jesus told his critics, My father is working still, and I also am working. I think that statement is still true today. So in addition to making use of the resources of modern medicine, and I would never tell somebody to forego those, and they are a good gift from God, I would encourage those seeking healing from disease or addiction or sinful behavior or attitude to turn to Jesus, the good 
and great physician. Now, does Jesus always heal in the way we want? He does not. And that is one of life's mysteries. But the most significant kind of healing is from the deadly sickness that the Bible calls sin because it has eternal consequences. Jesus the healer promises that if we trust and follow him, he will reconcile us to God, set us free from our bondage to sin, and provide us the gift of life everlasting. Friends, in this text, John presents Jesus as the healer and life giver. Don't we all have some kind of brokenness for which we need healing? I know I do. Then look to Jesus, the healer, the life giver. And if you haven't already, will you welcome Christ into your life and receive the healing he alone provides? And if you need assistance doing so, a member of our prayer team would be happy to meet with you after today's service. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, the life giver, to bring healing to us in every dimension. Give us the grace to embrace Christ by faith and your spirit's power to serve him faithfully as our grateful response to the healing he alone provides. In the strong name of Jesus, amen.
please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, because of you, we gather in your holy name. Some of us are filled with joy and full of hope, and some of us are sad and hopeless. With reverence and awe, we are thankful for who you are and not just what you have done for us. Your love, grace, and mercy is transparent through your son Jesus and his ultimate sacrifice. We praise you for making a way for us to be forgiven and have eternity with you. For those of us who believe in you, we adore you and surrender every part of our lives to your control. For unbelievers who don't know you yet, surround them with your Holy Spirit as you wait patiently for them to draw closer to you. We rejoice knowing that when you rested on the sixth day of creation, you continue to love and care for us by sustaining your universe. We honor how Jesus made clear that the Sabbath day is a day for healing and for doing good. Encourage us to echo his grace and mercy by reaching out and extending love to all in need every day. We pray that we would be marked by gratitude for what you have done and by confidence in what you will continue to do. Father, we confess that one of the ways we disobey you is our lack of service toward others. We make excuses and rationalize why our needs should come first, conveniently forgetting that Jesus called us to follow him as servants. In our brokenness, we cry out for healing. We trust you are there even when nobody sees, hears, or experiences our pain and sorrow. Just like our Jewish brothers and sisters, we too are guilty and fail to recognize your son Jesus in our daily lives. Forgive us when we are caught up in worldly ways and man-made rules. We trust that you hear our prayers, even though we are undeserving and unappreciative. Like the man in, the, in need of healing at the pool of Beth Zeva. Keep us mindful and thankful that healing is because of your clear and utter grace. Gently bring about an awareness within us of all our wrongdoings. Strengthen our faith, increase our desire to be healed, and turn from our old ways to sin no more. You know all of our needs. And we pray for physical, emotional, and spiritual healing, inwardly and outwardly. We pray for our pastors, session, deacons, the many ministries within our church, our staff, volunteers, our congregation, our young folks upstairs, and our community. Uphold us with your power, fill us with your spirit, and enable us to speak and hear your word. Protect, nourish, and surround our brothers and sisters around the world as they share the gospel. Inspire those in authority to rule with kindness, wisdom, and discernment for the good of all people. Lord God, let us never forget all that you do for us. Sustain us with your hope, the hope of salvation, 
and lead us to live our lives in testimony to your incredible blessings so that your love may be known and experienced by those we serve. Give us ears to hear and courage to act when the Holy Spirit calls for us to take up our mat. Remind us of your love as we pray the prayer Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our debt as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In Sunday school today, our children are learning God's command for us to love one another, even those who are not so nice to us. One way for us to love each other is to give of ourselves and of our resources so that we can extend our love and care to those in need. May our gifts be pleasing to God, and may they serve God's kingdom and benefit the needy. Will the worship host please come forward?
our lives with such love and goodness. We offer these gifts to you with thankful hearts and in joyous praise. As we give of ourselves and resources, we surrender our whole beings to you in worship and adoration. May our gifts extend the work of your kingdom and benefit the needy. Amen.
Friends, a whole variety of activities are happening. Very, very busy time of the church here. And just let me lift up two. One is a chance, the 1030 hour in room 113, to uh, meet the author. You probably already know our celebrated author, Tim Stafford. He'll be discussing his latest book, Those Who Seek, the third in a series set in and around the Sonoma Gospel Mission. So come and hear from Tim and hear about his new book. And also today is would be an ideal time down in um, the hall to buy tickets for the youth group's Mexico Mission dinner, fiesta, and auction. It's two weeks from last night, the Saturday the 29th of February, 5 to 730 Um they need to raise $12,000 just to, for building supplies if they're to build two homes, and that is their goal. So be generous. Friends, you go, and we members of our prayer team are right here if you'd like someone to pray or talk with. Friends, you're going to know where by accident, wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has a purpose in you being there. Christ, who indwells you through his spirit, has something he wants to do uniquely through you. Believe it and go in God's power and love. As you do, may the grace of our Lord Jesus the Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and those you love, now and in the life everlasting. And we say together, amen.